CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It is Friday, so welcome to Options Action. This morning's surprisingly disappointing jobs report putting macro forces into focus. Could the best way to prepare be with a pair trade? Carter Worth and my co guide you through that one. Then Tony Zhang has spotted an inflection point in one industrial. He'll show you how to construct a mechanical advantage. Plus, we're having a follow-up meeting about our recent Zoom trade, and we're taking your tweets. It is time to risk less to make more. So let's get right to it. In the board game Monopoly... You usually buy real estate and sell utilities, but in real life, Carter Worth thinks you should do the exact opposite. So, Carter, what are you looking at? All right, so we're going to look at two fairly defensive areas of the market, uh, yield-based areas, utilities and REITs. But in this instance, the spread of REITs over utilities on a 6- and 12-month basis is just getting too wide. And the thought is, is to play utilities for a breakout. They've still not gotten above their pre-pandemic high and fading rates. So just two tables to start and then some charts. The first table, you see it there on your screen, is the six-month performance. And that's the iShares U.S. Real Estate ETF, IYR, up 28% versus the XLU, the Spider Utility Select Fund, up only 18 Now look at the 12-month. Look at the next table. Here, too, you're talking about almost a double right, over the trailing uh, 12 months, past year, uh, REITs up some 34% versus utilities up 17. In fact, REITs have paced the S&P, and it just seems a little too hot. Now, a few comparative charts. The first, six months, two lines, very simple, very optically clear. Uh, The top line at REITs, the uh, under, or the lagging line, if you will, utilities. Next chart, same exact thing, a comparative chart, two lines, very straightforward. The IYR on top, up again about 34%, and there are utilities, the XLU, lagging up only 17 And so now let's look at the absolute charts. And if you think back to what was just done at the top of the hour on FAST, breakouts are very important. We looked at the breakout in NVIDIA or Adobe or the perspective one in Netflix. Well, look at the IYR. The IYR returned to its pre-pandemic level and broke out. Now look at the final chart, XLU. XLU is toying with the prospects of finally exceeding its high, right? Its high before the pandemic was $71. It was a Monday, February 18th, and here we are knocking on the door uh, more than a year later, finally breaking out. We like XLU long, IYR short. All right, so Mike, how do we trade this pair? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I mean, IYR, which I think ended the day pretty much spot on uh, all-time highs today. I mean, there is some rationale for why people are chasing these things at pretty heady valuations. Uh, overall, this is an index that's trading at a mid-40s uh, multiple uh, on a trailing basis. So pretty expensive. But, of course, why are they doing that? Uh, One of the reasons is that if we are imagining that Fed policy is going to be a little bit more prolonged, that that could basically put the reflation trade back on the table, you would be a seller of treasuries and you would be a buyer of something that creates yield on an inflation-adjusted basis, 
like real estate. But I think it's getting a little bit too expensive. I think what you want to do in IYR is actually use a put spread. And I was looking at, usually Carter's targeting 60 to 90 days. Uh, you know, we are looking at expirations. The uh, October 22nd expiration is one, and then we have the Dees regular. I was looking out to the Dees regular expiration. When I was looking at this earlier today, and IYR was trading about 110.5 at the time, I was looking at the 109. 99 put spread. That $10 wide put spread, I could spend about $2.30 to buy that, spending $3.45 for the higher strike put, selling the other one against it for $1.15. Now, I would say at the closing price, you could probably do the exact same trade on the DEES 1 ton 100 put spread, and that's probably the way I would go on Monday if it's trading right where it is right now. For XLU, uh, XLU, the utility ETF, is actually not trading at the same kind of high valuations, higher than average, like everything, but still below 20, which I think actually is also a, a relatively good value. And of course, we have to look at investments on a relative basis that they too are essentially an inflation adjusted yield trade. Here, I was just simply looking out to the October 22nd weekly 70 strike calls. Uh, when I was looking at those earlier today, you spend a little over a dollar for them. I think at the end of the day, those close around a dollar seven. I think 113 is the price you're going to see on your screen. So obviously, we have to take a look at how they open. But the idea here is that this is a relatively low volatility and low implied volatility uh, set of options. And of course, we would look to adjust those options either by rolling or spreading, uh, depending on the movement of XLU as we go forward. Tony, there's a lot to unpack here. So. What's your take on the pair trade? What's your take on Mike's trades? What's your take on either leg of the trade? Where do you stand? Yeah, like you said, a lot to unpack. And for viewers who may not be familiar with pairs trading, what we're looking at is, is two securities that are highly correlated with each other. And when one starts to outperform the other, our expectation is that that outperformance will converge back to zero. So when we look at this pair of IYR and XLU, currently they have a 90-day correlation of about 86%. So these are highly correlated securities. And Carter showed you the outperformance here for IYR. So when you look at this right now, the outperformance of IYR, IYR actually peaked in July. We started to see it converge back in August, but we started to see this widen again recently. But what's interesting is that the recent widening of the outperformance has not exceeded that July peak. So that I do think is the potential for this potentially to revert back to the mean. But the timing on this is going to be very tricky because these outperformances can maintain for quite some time. So that's the only concern that I currently have with Mike's trade is that he's long premium on both sides. So he's got time decay on the IYR side as well as the XLU side. If this does not converge quickly, you're going to see paying time decay on both sides. But what I do like about Mike's trade is the fact that he's long just calls on XLU. So if the market continues to drift higher here and both securities continue to move higher, what you have is XLU is actually going to be long gamma and actually have a higher delta, while on IYR you're going to have a lower delta. So net net you're going to have a higher delta if the market keeps moving higher. So you'll be profitable even if the pair doesn't converge as long as the market continues to move higher. Mike, you want to respond to Tony's comments? Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the things you need to concern yourself with is that if you're buying premium on one or multiple legs, then you do have to contend with time decay. If you have a bullish bet on one side, a bearish on the other, in a way, that's a little bit of a straddle. Uh, you know, we're, we're essentially betting on underperformance, but actually really is a bearish bet on IYR. And a bearish bet in this market is a tough one to make. It's the reason I'm using a put spread there, just buying the calls outright in XLU. It's a good observation. 
But I think that uh, you know this is probably the way you want to do it. Last quick question to you, Carter, and that is how do interest rates play into all of this? Is it, is it your belief that we stay basically where we are, pretty low? Well, I mean, yeah, that's just it. I mean, the cost of tenure money is low, whether it is one four five or one two five. Uh, ultimately, I think we're going to nudge up to one four five. Uh, I think if you really get down to the, these securities and their yield, which is what they're about, the key here is that, of course, the beta in utilities is lower than rates, and two. Uh, the utilities are yielding about 3% as a theme, as a sector, whereas REITs are only yielding 2.2. That's enough to um, tip the scales in favor of utilities. All right. From real estate and utilities to industrials, coming up next, Tony Zhang has deer in his sights. And don't forget, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. We will be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Tony is eyeing some relative strength in the industrial sector, and that has him setting his sights on deer. So, Tony, why don't you walk us through it? Yeah, exactly. So we're seeing some rot- a slow rotation into industrials, and I think Deere here could be a leader. If we take a look at a chart here for John Deere for the past year or so, what we see is that the stock has broken out into a range around 320 and 385 or so since February. But recently, just earlier today, we saw it break out above this range. But more importantly, not only is John Deere breaking out from an absolute basis, relative the performance to XLI, the next chart we're going to take a look at, we're starting to see John Deere outperform its sector. And that's specifically what we like to see going into a breakout or confirming this breakout. And when we look at the, the, the earnings report from a couple of weeks ago, this is really what's been extremely strong here. This is a company that has seen uh, over the past two quarters extremely strong revenue and EPS growth. Uh, right now, we're looking at about 28, 29% EPS uh, revenue growth for the year. And then if you compare EPS to two years ago, prior to the pandemic, we're looking at about a 90% gain on EPS growth versus two years ago. So this is a company that's really accelerating and firing on all cylinders from the business side. So the trade structure that I'm going to use here reflects the fact that the stock has rallied significantly to get up to this 385 level before it broke out, and it is trading near all-time highs. So I want to make sure that I have a risk. Uh, I'm adjusting for that risk profile. So I'm going out to December, and I'm buying the 380-410 put uh, a call vertical here, and I'm paying uh, $27.15 for that December 380 call, and I'm collecting about $13.35 for that December 410 call, and I'm purposely buying an in-the-money call option here to reduce my time decay on this move. And I'm risking only about 3.5% on the to- of the total stock value, which is about $13.80 on this debit spread. And I'm using an in-the-money debit spread here because it gives me a higher probability of profit here, about 43%, and it's giving me a closer to one-to-one risk-to-reward ratio rather than the two-to-one or three-to-one sometimes we look for on these types of debit spreads. But with this particular trade, the stock only has to rally about 1% higher before this debit spread is profitable. Tony had a lot of charts. Carter, what do you see? Yeah, well, I mean, he annotated quite clearly the 
prospect of a breakout. It, it is no different in the sense that a stock after a run-up, and Deere was a four-bagger off its low, that consolidates ultimately sets up to break out. Now, do they all break out? No. I think it's the right bet here. Uh, one thing I would notice, Tony talked about sort of a little bit of nascent relative strength in industrials. One way to, to look at that is to, we know that the sectors, as constructed by Standard & Poor's, are weighted towards a few big names. But if you look at an equal weight index of the S&P 500 industrial sector, it is really outperforming the actual sector. And that's a, that's a positive thing. Mike, um, are you with Tony on this trade? I am with him. Uh, you know, so this is an interesting thing. We obviously have it toying with these all-time highs, but just take a look. It's probably going to make something in the neighborhood of 22, 23 bucks a share full year 2022. That puts it trading around 17 and a half times. That's also, by the way, about 17% year-on-year uh, EPS growth. So we're talking about a peg ratio of one. Not a lot of places you can find that right now. This is one of the oldest companies in America. I think their IPO was back in the early 1940s. And of course, they have a very stable business on the ag side. They have a much bigger percentage on the ag side than one of their industrial competitors in the form of Caterpillar, for example. But they still do have potential exposure there, too. We were talking yesterday, I think, about infrastructure trades. And of course, they do also uh, have exposure to construction and mining. So this is, uh, I think, a good company, an excellent company, well run, uh, trading at a reasonable valuation, very good price earnings to growth ratio. And so I like the trade. Uh, Tony, final thoughts on this one. Yeah, this is really where, as, as Carter was talking about the rotation into industrials, that's what I'm really um, trying to capture here. And John Deere is a, clearly a leader in this particular um, sector. It's outperforming its sector. I'm looking for this breakout higher. And I do um, echo Mike's views here on valuations. Given the EPS and revenue growth we've seen here, trading at 17, 18 times earnings, not only is it cheap relative to the market, it's also cheap to itself. Up next, we are having a follow-up meeting on our Zoom trade from last week. Plus, we're taking more of your Twitter questions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Carter and Mike brought you the novel idea, a tale of two cloud stocks. The best of times for CrowdStrike, the worst of times for Zoom. And boy, did that turn out to be a good read. So, Mike, what do we do now? Yeah, so uh, those of you who follow us on Twitter, and if you don't, you should, you will know that we actually provided a trade update on this one already. So remember that the Zoom trade structure was a short call spread. When you sell options, of course, the most you can make essentially is how much you sold them for. When Zoom fell sharply this week, essentially we had made the bulk of the profits that we could. So regardless of what one's view is about Zoom going forward, the smart thing to do is to close that trade and follow us on Twitter. Carter, what do you see in the charts? Well, when you get a drop in gap, news related, uh, in this case, earnings, and it is of this size and magnitude, you're talking about a, a 16% move, right? The day before it had closed at 347 and it closed at 289. And you don't get follow through, meaning after that initial drop in gap, we held the next day and the next day and the next day, and we're still sitting there. And you have price discovery now. You take the money and run if you, if you were short. All right. Um, it's time to take some tweets now. Our first viewer asks, after Netflix broke out of that major base over the medium term, I feel like it's right to be long because of the size of the base. That being said, it can chop around for a long period of time. What is the best strategy to play for breakout following through in a situation like this? 
We actually talked to Carter about this very chart at the top of Fast Money tonight. So, Carter, just quickly to recap, in case this viewer missed it, you see what, Netflix? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> well you, you add to it. Meaning, it, it, and, and the thing is this, it really hasn't broken out yet, and that's the key, right? It's just toying with the prospects of breaking out. And so, um, get bigger. That's what I would do. So, Tony, how would you do that? Yeah, so I agree. What we've broken out from is the intermediate resistance, around 555 or so. It failed to break out above the all-time highs at 590. So from a price action perspective, my, my view is that this is likely going to be range-bound between 555 and 590. And if you look at the business itself, you know, Netflix has had a very, very consistent 6% quarter-over-quarter revenue growth. We've seen EPS tick up by a couple of percentage points over the last quarter, but I don't particularly think that that's enough for this to break out substantially. So while it remains range-bound between 555 and 590, my view is to potentially sell credit spreads. Sell a call credit spread as it reaches the top end of the range. Look at the sell put credit spreads as it gets to the bottom of the range. Until it breaks out above 590, those, that's how I would play this. Once it breaks out, that's when I would look at buying call options or, or even call spreads. Mike, how would you approach this trade? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I like about the way Tony's approaching this. For one thing, Netflix tends to be one of those names that has relatively, and probably for good reason, high implied volatility. And so it's very attractive to consider selling options. Of course, you want to use credit spreads rather than just outright naked option sales because you limit your risk that way. And of course, one of the things you want to do when you are selling credit spreads is try to identify some of those either key uh, technical levels or key fundamental levels where you're willing to draw a line in the sand. And sometimes, of course, if you have a stock that's bouncing around within a range, you actually have to identify the edges of that range and say, OK, when it reaches the upper end, that's when I'm going to start thinking about the upside credit spread sales. And when it reaches the bottom end, I'm going to think about selling those downside credit spread sales. So that makes a lot of sense to me. All right, let's get to our next tweet. Our next viewer asks, I believe Peloton will gain with the colder months coming, and I want to be long. I was looking to sell the 155 April call, buy the 140 April call for a cost of about two shares. Um, Mike, what's your take on this? Yeah, so uh, there's a few things I like about this, a few things I like a little bit less. Uh, let's start with the things that I do like about it. Okay, so uh, when you say it's going to cost about two uh, shares. So the stock was, you know, just under 100 bucks, you're going to spend about 180, 190 dollars in total outlay of premium to buy that call spread. And of course, that's because each option represents 100 shares. So in terms of the total amount of premium that you're outlaying, uh, that's relatively low. So I, I like that. You're looking out to April. This is one of the common mistakes that a lot of people who first start trading options will make is that they decide that they're going to make a directional bet on a stock, but they don't give themselves enough, enough time for that trade to play out. Using April options, you're clearly giving yourself a lot of time. And the other thing, of course, is that when we look at vertical spreads, we like to see attractive payoffs. So that's essentially the maximum profit that you can make on that debit spread relative to the amount that you're spending. So the most you could make on a $15 wide vertical spread is $13.20 in profits if you're laying out $1.80. And that's a payoff of more than 7 to 1. So far, so good. What are some of the things that I don't like about it so much? Well, one of them is that the lower strike, this is the strike that you own, the 140 strike calls, that is well more than 40% out of the money. So if this is a trade you intend to hold and not just take profits on in between now and expiration, this thing really has to move. And that's a tough, tough 
uh, bet to make, of course, because you're targeting actually the all-time highs that the stock had recently seen. If you are going to take it off before expiration, though, vertical spreads don't go to their full value straight away. So that payoff ratio is actually diminished if you're intending to do, use this over a shorter period of time. And, you know, one of the other things I would say, this is kind of a lottery ticket trade, but the fact that Peloton recently reduced the price of their bikes, that's kind of an acknowledgement maybe that they're a little bit overpriced or that they might start facing competition from other areas. This is still an expensive stock despite the fact that it has fallen back this far. If you're going to make a bullish bet and you're trying to hit it out of the park and you're looking forward to April, this is a way to do it. But this one only has about a 14% probability of profit. All right, we have time for one more tweet. This one is for Carter. John wants to know, is Taiwan Semi ready for a breakout? It sure is. At least that's what I see, meaning we know this was a great winner. Uh, in fact, Taiwan Semi is some 20% of the entire Taiwan Stock Exchange Index. A great sell-off, and now there's a lot of authority to this sort of 125 level. Good relative strength day-to-day, week-over-week. Um, play for the breakout. Tony, what's your take on TSM? Yeah, so I like the tr range that it's currently trading in. When I look at the business itself, I don't really see a compelling reason for the breakout just yet. If you look at you know, revenue growth, it's very steady. EPS is ticking up a little bit last quarter. But I don't particularly think that T Taiwan Semiconductor is ready to break out just yet. But I do think that um, it is primed for a breakout. So I would be a little patient because I think this could trade in a range for a little bit longer before you actually see that breakout. Yeah, and Mike, your thoughts on, on Taiwan Semi? Yeah, I mean, I like it on the long side. We have actually seen a decent amount of bullish activity there in the options market and also in some of those ETFs that contain it as a large constituent. I mean, one of the things that we've certainly seen, obviously, is that a lot of these names, you know, there are, there are big shortages, there's big demand for some of these products, and the ones that are se selling the products that everybody needs and wants, and I'm going to exclude Intel from that list notably, uh, I still think you can stay along those names. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We will be back, of course, next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But do not go anywhere. A special bonus edition of Fast Money starts right after this break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.